Welcome to the Synaxis Podcast. A Synaxis is a liturgical gathering. It can also refer to an unveiling event. The Synaxis Podcast is a weekly gathering hosted by yours truly, Scott Jones, for the purpose of finding the life-giving healing word of the gospel and the words of the weekly lectionary passages. Join myself and a guest each week as we explore the lectionary text together. This is the place for gospel-rich, grace-saturated, and a properly worldly lens on the week's lectionary passages, all in 25 minutes or less. My guest is the Reverend Kenneth Tanner. Kenneth is a pastor of Church of the Holy Redeemer in Rochester Hills, Michigan. He writes for numerous websites and magazines, including the Huffington Post and Sojourners. Ken, welcome back to the podcast. How are you, my friend? I'm great. I'm it's doing good. good. To, it's good to see you, and we'll have you for the first and third Sunday of Advent. You'll be tag-teaming with Mandy Smith. Mandy Smith. One you, thing are, we, you are what, two of the best pastors I know, and that's honest. That's One honest. thing we can say for sure, that people will be, you know, will want to listen to her voice. More than mine. ours. Or mine. I mean, Mandy Oh, my has, God. I could listen to her. She could just, I, I get her to record the Bible and just uh, listen to her. Yeah. She's anything great. I need her in. And you guys really are two of the best pastors I know. I mean, it's <laughs> you're, you pastor in different denominations, different contexts. But, uh, but a lot of the way you guys think and preach and, you know, feel your way through the gospel is, is very similar. So it's good. That, it's a good tag team for Advent. So first off, first, our first text, we have Isaiah. Chapter 2, verses 1 through 5. And Isaiah here is talking about this day when all the people are going to go, all the nations are going to go to the mountain of the Lord, not to bring uh, gifts or sacrifices or things like that, but they'll be taught uh, about the way of the Lord. And, and, this is, and, and from that teaching, they'll beat their swords into plowshares. So this is one of these, that, that swords into plowshares, which is also taken up in Micah. I mean, this is, you know, it's at the UN, it's in, there's a statue in DC, there's all these, like, I mean, this is one of these texts that lives in the wider secular imagination. I mean, it's a very hopeful passage. Yeah, it is. And, you know, you have people um, like Shane Claiborne and, and um, I'm trying to think of the name of the man he's been following around on tour who beats guns into uh, farming tools. Um, I'm sorry that I don't remember his name right now, but he's from the Denver area. Um, and, uh, you know, just really taking this passage literally, uh, it's, it's, you know, obviously there's a lot of beauty here. Um, mountains and the hills is the, the, the house of the Lord is the highest. There's a sense of, of the majesty, um, the providence, the, um, the rule of God, um, you know, being you know complete and and there's no real there's no contestant for the rule of love any longer the love is ruling and um and the people yeah come together to be taught his ways and the, the what they're learning um the, the what he's teaching them is not to make war anymore uh, you know that's a I was thinking about this today. I mean, you know, war, um, it's very difficult. We're just getting these reports. Uh, my son sent me a report about uh, what's been happening with the depleted uranium in Fallujah in Iraq and the bombing that we did there in 02 and the, the 
absolute horror show of child, um, uh, you know, deformities and birth and um, diseases and things. And someone was saying that it rivals the problems that occurred after Nagasaki and Hiroshima in terms of what happened to the people around there as a result of these weapons uh, that were unleashed, uh, you know, 19 years ago. And um, so it's very difficult to wage war without committing crime. I mean, you, you may, um, you may have the intention to do so, uh, but it's very difficult for humans and it, it, war is horrific. Um, war is hell. So isn't it beautiful that the thing that they're learning when they get, God's judging the nations and he's negotiating between all of them and he's bringing them all together that the first thing they do is get back to the business of being farmers and they, they, they learn not to make war anymore. Yeah. And I almost think this is like, as I was reading this, I was thinking, I was thinking of talking with you about it and your passion for patristic and pre patristic exegesis. So I was thinking of Renius mm-hmm. and some of the fathers and this struck me as going back to the garden where what were Adam and Eve to, to cultivate the garden, right? And, that, mm-hmm. and and what what did the fall bring about? Enmity, right? Right, right, <laughs> right. Of, you know, this kind of between so the like, brothers. Yeah, this seems like a sort of undoing of of the curse of mm-hmm. the primordial curse here, and you see yeah. this kind of invitation to live in the new creation or the 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 new world the new world fulfilling the intention of the, uh, of the primordial world. It's a really beautiful picture of sort of a uh, new Adamic kind of new humanity here. And there's a, there's a tension that we, we want to introduce here with, you know, entering Advent. Um, we're waiting for this day, the day where love will indeed, um, the knowledge of the, the glory of the Lord will cover the earth as the waters cover the sea and, and love will, will rule. And this teaching will change the hearts of the nations. And but but uh, you know we, we get to anticipate this coming at the end of history. But we also are to be looking for the ways in which this love is attempting to rule now. Love is attempting to teach us now. Love is attempting to to negotiate between nations and judge us. And and right now. Um, we can, in anticipating the coming of the Lord, look for the ways he's coming now and pursue peace. So there's there's both the waiting and then there's the as we wait to act as though he has come. Um, yeah, yeah, I think that's beautiful. And the other thing I think that's so interesting here is the For whole, indeed he has come. Yeah, he has And come. continues to come. And, yeah, in, in every yeah. moment. Yeah. yeah, and I think th- it's also this theme of mountains, right? They're going to come to the mountain, not Sinai, but Zion. And then you have right. also Jesus at the Sermon on the Mount teaching, and he, you know, he gathers people on the mountain in Matthew for instruction. He pronounces blessings on the peacemakers, and also, mm. it, although this is his disciples, yeah. it, it, you know, it, it, it's it's kind of this is the this is this instruction it's for one those of the who are fulfillments kind of, of this, uh, but, this foretelling here. But he's no calling about. them to be salt and light to the world. And so there's this sort of, yeah, I think there's this interesting fulfillment. Also, I was just thinking about how, I've thought about this for a while, about how justification by faith is so key in antagonisms, in the sense of if you're justified by faith, if your peace is Christ, then you don't have to make war of ideas or or ideologies or hmm. tribes or this. So like, 
So this sort of being in Christ allows you is what allows you to be in peace because mm. because when you come to His yeah. open arms, right? The, the, then you don't you can you can in vulnerability open your arms. And so I think part of this grace is the entryway, and, and this fact that you're you receive it allows you to be a receiver uh, and a peacemaker and, and to beat things into plowshares. Yeah, I, I do think that we uh, we have a, a temptation to um to get into wars of words over uh what god has definitively done um in saying it is finished uh, on the cross the project of becoming human is is done and and the sacrifice that, uh, for the sin of the world has been accomplished we have all humans have been reconciled uh by god uh, to God um, by his action. And so it's, yeah, I, I think we can't get distracted. I think we can also, you know, um, sort of, I'm not much into realized eschatology is that, you know, I, I think we, we have to continuously remind ourselves that the principalities and powers are uh, very much still at work in the world and um, hu- human, um, human engagement and, um there's a lot of darkness, and uh, we're still waiting for the ultimate um, coming of God, where again, indeed, love will rule. But uh, it's just like this healthy tension. I think we can live in, and recognizing He's coming at the end, and and this will be this is a picture of what it will be like. But He also has come, the Sermon on the Mount, and He's taught these same things, and He's invited us now into this way of living. Um, uh, we don't have to wait. Um, to begin to beat our swords into plowshares and and to and heed this wisdom, certainly uh, being sh- being assured that we are reconciled to Him uh, and and not having a lot of anxiety about that helps us get to get about that business. On to the book of Romans, Romans 13 here, which is, I mean, Romans 13 is not talked about, preached about very often, and probably when talked about, not preached or taught well, because it's, I mean, it's good. There's some quirky stuff in Romans 13. And this here is an interesting passage because earlier is, is talking about obeying the magistrate and the government authorities. And here we have this injunction for... To walk in the light, the night's gone, the day is drawn near, and to put off darkness and walk honorably in the day and not in sort of uh, carousing and drunkenness and sexuality. It's interesting. Scott McKnight, who was on the Give and Take podcast a few weeks ago, he wrote this book called Reading Romans Backwards, and he argues that when you're at backwards, you realize it's about the weak and the strong debate. And so the weak are probably Jewish Christians who have more scruples around things all things Roman and Greco-Roman and the strong, even though Paul's with the strong and, and thinks he he's not, he's flexible in Torah observance, but he still wants the strong to defer to the weak as well. So he, McKnight argues Romans 13 is probably targeted at Jews, who, the Jewish believers who probably would have a little more sort of anti-Roman kind of sentiment. And this is also yeah. probably targeted to the Greco-Roman believers who were kind of into the carousing and the, there's all these sort of, pagan things where you're drinking and carrying on right. and, involved mm-hmm. and all sort of 
sexual kind of liaisons and things. And so it, it seems like another place where Paul's sort of calling them to be together and then to both of them in light of the grace of God to bear one another's burdens. And then it'll take a sacrifice for, for, for both of them to walk in the light. I think that's really helpful. Scott to see um, both of those, uh, those groups within the church there being addressed by the apostle. That's really good. I, what time is it? I love that. Do you know, you know what time it is, how it is now the moment yeah. for you to wake from sleep. Um, salvation is nearer to us now than when we first became believers. Um, the night is far gone. Um, the day is near. Um, yeah. So it's, there's, there's an urgency, you know, it's, it's sleep here is like, you know, spirit, a lack of spiritual awareness, right? It's a lack of, I mean, I think, you know, sometimes we can be not lack, have a lack of self-awareness. <laughs> we, we, uh, we can have a lack of um, communal awareness. We can have a lack of uh, political awareness. We can have a lack of awareness of the dynamics of things that are going on in our marriages, our families, um, uh, asleep about what's going inside our, our own minds asleep yeah. about what's going inside our own hearts. Um, a, a, so many, we can live asleep um, about all the things I've just named and more. Um, and, and I don't think that Christians are allowed um, to sort of, I don't, I don't know. Um, I, I, I believe in recreation. I believe in leisure. I believe in, uh, taking time away and uh, and being refreshed, but I also think that there's a serious temptation, and you're addressing this as a, the gen, you know, the Hellenized Jews, um, you know, that might be addressed to. We we cannot allow ourselves to um, not be situationally aware, not be self aware, not be aware of the dynamics in our parish, our our, our marriages, our relationships with our children, our friends, what's happening in the political world, what's happening internationally. Um, sometimes people talk about like, uh, you know, C.S. Lewis's great quote about, and I, I love it. You know, says he didn't read the paper because, you know, if something were to come up, he'd hear about it. Was big enough. <laughs> but, but, uh, and you know, you, you read about these people that eat yogurt in Ukraine and, you know, live to be 104 or five and six. And people say, well, you know, it's because they, they don't, they're not engaged with the world and they, the cares of the world and, you know, this sort of thing. But I don't know. I think um, to be uh, alive and to be a Christian is to be, and, and I think Christ shows this, to be engaged with what's happening around you. Be aware of what's going on inside you and aware of what's going on in your relationships. And uh, because God is not just coming at the end. Uh, he's coming yeah, right and we're, now. And we're not hermetically sealed, right? Because right. we know about biology. Like, this is why yeah. we use Perel and things like this, like things are, our whole being is permeable. Right. And yeah. so th this is like phys phys physically, biologically true. It's also spiritually true, right? There's a permeability and not that we want to keep everything out either. Cause there's some bacteria you want in and some, you don't like, uh, be, yeah, it, but, but it is this sort of awareness of the permeability, which is, which is, which is, is, is key. And then, and then we don't, you know, we don't sometimes want to to look at the things he actually names. But I mean, yes, there 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 was a sense in these these texts that the, you know darkness was the you know was the time where theft took, occurred, where 
you know, danger. You had uh, their criminal elements that were involved. There was, um, you know, a partying and, and these kind of things. But we're supposed to be people of the light uh, and people of the day um, where um, there's, you know, there's some um, um, diligence. Um, and we, we, we've been talking about um, this awareness that God is not just coming at the end of the world, um, not coming at the end of our life, but always coming. He's coming on the Eucharist and the altars and tables and all kinds of churches all over the world uh, all the time. He comes to us and the poor, the people that we run into on the street. He comes to us and the prisoners that we visit. He comes to us and uh, the, the people that we give a meal to, the people we spend time with, um, all of these people that, you know, I think we sometimes think of as inconveniences. Christ is coming. Um, so to be to be essentially to be situationally aware um, is, uh, you know, I I'm going to talk about this when we get to the gospel, but you know, you and I, and a lot of Christians were raised with this sort of hyper uh, consciousness about eschatology and when things are coming, you know, thief of the night and all this kind of business. Um, but I was uh, not raised with that actually. Well, as I said it, as I said it, I thought I, I, maybe, I like, wasn't I, I, but, raised you know, but I love those charts. I love the yeah, disposition yeah. charts. Though. I, no, I, want to, I want to read something that yeah, I yeah. actually from, for last week's sermon, I reread uh, the world's last night. Uh, oh wow! Actually, wow. for two weeks ago, sermon rather. Uh, and there, there are two quotes. I'll read one from the gospel. Yeah. Too, but at the end That's, of the, this is uh, this is C.S. Lewis's essay that you're. Yeah, yeah Lewis right. says, uh, no. "I do not find that pictures of physical catastrophe, that sign in the clouds, those heavens roll up like a scroll, help one so much as the naked idea of judgment." We cannot always be excited. We can perhaps train ourselves to ask more and more how often how the things which we are saying or doing are failing to do. At each moment, we'll look when the irresistible light streams in upon it. That light which is so different from the light of this world, and yet, even now, we know just enough of it to take it into account. Women sometimes, although I have this problem, this is kind of dated because I have this problem. It happens to me at TJ Maxx. Women sometimes have the problem of trying to judge by artificial light, how a dress will look by the daylight. Happens to me as sweaters all the time. Oh, yeah. That is very like the problem of all of us, the, to dress our souls not for the electric lights of the present world, but for the daylight of the next. The good dress is wow. the one face that light, for that light will last longer. Man. Live in the light. If we, you know, And part of living in the light is when we wander in darkness, we plead for God's mercy. And that's part of the light, too. On to the gospel reading. Here we go. We got Matthew. This is the kind of apocalyptic kind of passage here where Jesus is talking about the days of Noah, as it is in the days of Noah. Nobody knows the hour, um, neither the angels nor the son, but only the father. But it'll be like the days of Noah. So it'll be the coming of the son of man. They were eating and drinking and doing all the normal things you do in the world. Then until the day Noah entered the ark and he talks about two being left in the field or at the mill, you know, one man will be taken, one left, one woman taken, one left. Keep awake, therefore, because you don't know when the Lord is coming. So here we have this sort of uh, encouragement to really be alert. Again, yeah. Yeah, live in the light. I mean, this is kind of peace and light. Yeah. 
Yeah. How many forests would still be around um, if we had just heeded this one sentence of Jesus? No one knows the hour. (laughs) Yeah. You know, um, the, uh, the, the amount of anxiety, the amount of energy, the amount of time um, that has been spent on predicting the coming or this is, I figured it out, the secret code, or I've uncracked the, you know, what only the father knows. And I can tell you. Um, so for those who grew up in that, I, you know, we just want to, you know, say like myself, we want to um, say, look, um, you know, no one knows. And I, I think this is of course true about the end of the world, but most importantly, and for all of my, our listeners, the, the day of the Lord um, is coming most likely, even for all who are listening to this, as their, the day of their own death. <laughs> I mean, it's not, you know, um, let's say the end of history as we know it or time as we know it is 5,000 years from now. I mean, when we're talking about the coming of the Son of Man and when we're coming about uh, talking about the end of time, the end of time for most of us is the day... Uh, that we breathe our last, right? And there's so, a long exegetical history in the church of this, of reading this as individual death, not right. the world's, oh. not the world's last judgment, but yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. So again, we want to pull back, right? And, and, and from that kind of um, global or, you know, uh, look and, and kind of look inside and, and, and in what ways, um, you know, am I prepared uh, for my own demise, and uh, it, which is a which is a much more, frankly, for most of us, a much more important question. Maybe for everyone, a much more important question than the you know the date of the end, end of time as we know it, or when God's going to consummate all things. One thing we can trust, and you were talking about trusting salvation, is that the day of the Lord is a good day. That when God comes to bring judgment, that's going to be a really good thing. That's good news for the world. That's good news for every human being. Um, that's good news for, um, uh, you know, for all of us because he's good and he loves mankind. And um, so we can also trust that when he comes, it's not going to be back. He, I mean, he, we, we saw this in Isaiah. He teaches us when we gather how not to make more. He's not coming back, as some of us were raised, as, uh, you know, the worst Rommel or Sherman or you know, Schwarzkopf that ever existed. You know, he's coming coming back to bring shalom, peace, and, and teach us how to uh, become farmers again. So we don't have to we don't have to be anxious about the end of the world. We don't have to be anxious about our own end, but we do, and we are invited to uh, be mindful, um, alert, awake. Um, and uh, you know, some people read these. You know, they're eating and drinking and giving in marriage. Jesus is God's not not. There's nothing wrong with any of those things. God gave us God gave us all of those things. God gives us things. To, to eat things to to drink he he's the one who um he he's the the one who brought marriage and uh, you know about but um in all of that eating in all of that drinking in all of that marrying in all of that feasting and fasting and living of life are we living in a way that is sober about the coming of god um at the end of the age and also at the end of our own existence um uh, prior to resurrection 
Yeah, and I, I think it's interesting. One of the questions I always have is like, in the days of Noah, so everybody thinks like rapture, but like in the days of Noah, the people that got swept away, the people that were redeemed got to stay on the earth. <laughs> That's very interesting. Like, like, but the other thing is, I think the eating and drinking, giving and marriage, like stuff, it, God is often prospering the kingdom in ways that we don't often think. Like we're eating and drinking and marrying. We don't usually look at a childless couple like Abraham and Sarah as the future Lord or the youngest over the older or the women in a patriarchal culture being the first witnesses, you know, the, the, the marginal, the least, the last and the lost being first. So I think some of it is like Noah does this absurd thing, like, you know, building this ark where everybody's mocking him. And, and that's the means of finding grace in the destruction that ultimately hits all of life. Like, so, I mean, I think there's something really interesting about like in the everyday being open to the absurdity of the logic of grace and the way Jesus works in the world. And, and the other thing I just think is like this other thing, like I've, that I found so moving from uh, the world's last night was this passage where he says, which I think goes very well with this passage. What is important is not that we should always fear or hope about the end, but that we should always remember always taken into account. An analogy may, may here help. A man of 70 need not be always feeling, much less talking, about his approaching death. But a wise man of 70 should always take it into account. He would be foolish to embark on schemes which presuppose 20 more years of life. Right. It would be criminally foolish not to make, indeed, not mm -hmm. to have m made long since his will. Now what death is to each human, a second coming is to the whole human race. We all believe, I suppose, that a man should sit loose to, to, this, to his own individual life, should remember how short, precarious, temporary, and provisional a thing it is, should never give all his heart to anything which will end when his life ends. What modern Christians find it harder to remember is that the whole life of humanity in this world is also precarious, temporary, provisional. Ah, it's really good. Yeah, and, 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 and as precarious as all our lives are and the whole human race is, you know, it's as fragile as that is in in the hands of the one who became fragile for us, it we can hope and trust that it oh, endures. Absolutely. And I, I I love what Fleming says about uh, judgment and the coming of God in our lives, that we can welcome it, you know, because he, he's coming to take away the darkness. He's coming to take away the sin. He's coming to take away the confusion. He's coming to take away the depression. He's coming to take away the anxiety. He's coming to take away um, our jealousies. He's coming to take away our um, our greed. He's coming to take away all of these things that, 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 that cause us to, as James tells us, to, to make war um, and uh, amongst ourselves. And, and he, he's, he's only going to leave within us the goodness in which he made us and these, the you know the all of the things he intended for us from the beginning, I found as long as we're, I found a really short passage um, from Origen um, on this uh, question, and I think you're going to love it. Um, he says he's 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 talking about um, you know when God the Word comes and brings an end to the progress of this life. Um, he will gather up the, the one who gave no sleep to his eye nor slumber to his eyelids and kept the commandment of the one who said, be vig vigilant at all times. But I know another kind of end 
For the righteous person who is able to say, along with the apostle, far be it from me to glory, except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom the world is crucified to me and I to the world. Now listen to this. In a certain sense, the end of the world has already come for the person to whom the world is crucified. Amen to that. And to one who is dead to worldly things, the day of the Lord has already arrived. For the Son of Man comes to the soul of the one who no longer lives for sin or for the world. Yeah, I think that's right. I think that, like, through the eyes of faith, we see that the power of the cross, that that really there's le- there's not as much difference in the first and second coming of Christ as we think. <laughs> well said. Thanks, my and friend. Ha- happy uh, Advent and to happy everybody that's, that that has started the church year. This will this will be aired on the second day of uh, the, the season of Advent. Um, happy New Year, everybody. Uh, yep, Happy New Year. And uh, next week it's going to be Mandy, and like I said, her voice is a lot more beautiful, and um, and she's just like got wisdom. So thanks, brother. Make sure to check in with her next week. Thanks for listening to the Synaxis Podcast. If you like what you heard, please go to iTunes, give it a rating, write a review, and subscribe, or pass it along to a friend via email, or say something about it on social media. All of those things help so much as we're just getting off the ground. Thanks to Ken for being on the podcast, and thank you again for listening. And until next time, friends, fare thee well.